A Twitter survey prompted a number of pastors to share about the absurd conflicts that they had witnessed in their congregations. Here are some of those conflicts. Uh, there's an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. A deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and settling the matter in the parking lot. Sounds awesome. A 45-minute heated conflict over, over the type of filing cabinets to purchase. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. A church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup, vanilla syrup to the coffee server. Uh, it looked too much like liquor, and so she was chastised. Uh, most of these are, are sad, but most of church conflict really isn't funny. <laughs> it can be a good thing that can lead to greater health when addressed, but if not dealt with in an appropriate manner, when not dealt with properly, it can really cause a problem in a church like this. It can divide, it can create hostility, uh, it can be a bad look for, for people uh, coming into an environment like that, to non-Christians, it can dishonor God, and it can really take down a church. Today, James tells us why we are so prone as human beings to scrap with one another in our believing communities. But he also tells us what we are to do about it. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we encourage you to have your Bible in front of you. That can be your phone uh, on the Bible. Uh, you can pull it up. You can take notes. encourage you to do that. Turn to James chapter 4. Last week he talked about wisdom from above. He talked about philosophies that are earthly, unspiritual, that lead to selfish ambition and jealousy. So this conversation about quarreling fits nicely after what we talked about last week. Look at verse 4-1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Fights and quarrels can both describe physical violence, like people literally coming to blows. People were literally fighting in James's church, or it could be referring to speech that is used to harm others. Either way, things are very heated in this church that James writes to. A little side note, if you are looking for a church where no conflict exists, you will be searching for your entire lifetime. Sometimes we're like, man, I wish I could go back to the early church when things were pure, when things were better. We didn't have this mess. Well, guess what? They fought then too. Just a little, little, little side note there. The cause of quarrels and fights, certain passions are at war within you. The term for passions is hedone. Just thinking of donuts as I thought. Thanks, Wes, for the donuts. Uh, hey, donut. Hey, donut. It's where my mind goes sometimes with words. So when we get the term hedonist, it's usually used in the New Testament to refer to uh, negative, sinful, self-focused, self-indulgent desires for, for pleasure. These passions are at war within you. This could be a reference to uh, our sinful flesh that wages war against the spirit. When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with sinful thoughts, sinful desires. 
uh, but we're to put that to death. But he's just talking about that natural thing, the old man versus the new. Inside of us, that can happen. If you want to start a church fight, (laughs) make what you sinfully desire more important than the welfare of the body. Ask yourself questions like, what can I get out of this? What can they give me? I read this week, such narcissistic embrace of one's own pleasure as the chief end of life, whether it be sensual, materialistic, professional, or positional, is the bane of the church. He goes on to further explain these sinful passions. Read the rest of uh, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You desire and you envy for that which you do not have. It could be possessions, position, money, power. They're jealous. They're envious. We talked about that last week. The sin of jealousy and and what it can do in, in a congregation. And what has it led to? It's led to fighting and quarreling and murder. Where people in James's church literally murdering each other. Could be. There's some evidence. I think that's less likely. I think James is probably speaking in hyperbole to get their attention, to shock them. He could also be referencing his, his brother Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You know, to have, to have hatred for somebody else is, is to commit murder in your heart. Nonetheless, he's, he is using language to get their attention. He says there's two reasons you do not have what you want. You covet, you ain't getting it. Here's why. Look at the rest of verse two. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. First, you don't even ask. Maybe they're not asking because they know their requests would, would be foolish or thrown back in their face. Or it could be that this, this term asking is suggesting continuous action. If you look at it in the Greek, you're not continually asking because you, you, you haven't asked persistently. You haven't gotten what you desire. He adds, you don't receive because you have asked with the wrong motives. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. But as Douglas Moo points out, Jesus clearly had in mind that asking, which has its focus and motive on God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. Not the type of asking that is to fulfill your sinful pleasures. Here's another way to maybe say that. You're going to be sorely disappointed and wanting if you treat Jesus like a vending machine. If all he is is something to to get certain things from that are going to fulfill your, your sinful passions and desires, you're probably going to be disappointed when those things don't arrive. You know, Jesus, I'd like a house with a lot of square footage so my parents will be impressed. F12. No, Jesus, I'd like that car. I'd like that new. Tr- Have you guys seen my car? Is a prayer I pray. Jesus, I'd like that car to, to flex on my friends. B11. 
Jesus, I'd, I'd like some, some jewelry, kind of flex. I'd like some nice clothes, you know, F7. Even, even our noble requests at the heart can be driven by, by sinful passions. Jesus, I pray for enough finances to support my family and, and give to, to people in need to, to be generous. That, that's a great prayer request. But, but for myself at times, the, the real translation could be, God, I want enough money to get the things that I desire. So this really causes us to reevaluate our prayer life. Things come to a head now. There are passages in the Bible where the writers are very gentle with the congregation that they're writing to. This is not one of those times. James is literally having a come-to-Jesus talk. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people. <laughs> you, I, I probably would never say that to one of you. But, but James says it to his kind. You adulterous people. In the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, was, was likened to adulterers when they turned to idolatry. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. So James characterizes his readers in the same way. You have cheated on God with the world. What does he mean by that? Look at verse 4b. He warns them now. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, discord with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Is friendship with the world really adultery? And what does this mean that I, I can't be friends with the world? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you can't go to the movies and have fun. There are things in this world to be enjoyed. I like rap music. I, I you know, I'm not, this is not saying to, you know, lock the door and, and, and never let yourself experience anything in the world. It's more about the world's system and the type of philosophy the world pushes. And it's also understanding what friendship means. Friendship back then is not like our friendship today. Do you guys know how many friends I have? Do you know friends I have? I have a thousand on Facebook. <laughs> friendship in the world was, was very uh, different then. Uh, what he means by friendship with the world, he's talking about a lifelong pack between people with shared values. To be a friend with the world was to identify with its fallen standards and, and priorities. There is a philosophy that our world produces that promotes selfishness, self-indulgence, jealousy, envy. Th those things are worldly. Don't you know that to seek friendship with this world, with the world, in this way is to make you an enemy of God? Jesus utilized this either-or language. You can either serve money <laughs> or you can serve God. You cannot serve two masters. You can either be friends with God and be an enemy of the world, or you can be friends with the world and be an enemy of God. You cannot love the world wholeheartedly and love God wholeheartedly. 
this either-or language, this, this extreme dualism, James employs to, to get their attention. He wants them to wake up. It's like, wake up. Rub, rub the sleep from your eyes. Look into the mirror and see that, that this conduct is, is spiritual adultery. And it's characteristic of someone who is an enemy of God. He wants them to take their sin seriously. And their, their selfish, quarrelsome behavior seriously so that they might do what? Repent and turn from it. Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? There's debate around how this passage is translated. This is probably in the original Greek, the hardest passage to understand. And so what I preach to you next, I preach with an open hand. While I do believe it's probably the closest uh, view to truth. And so what I think is going on here is what the ESV translates. And it's this idea that God jealously longs for the spirit he made to dwell in us. He longs for our spirit to turn to him. God is jealous for you and me. Exodus 25, 34, 14, God flat out tells his people, I am a jealous God, jealous for the affections of your heart of which I alone deserve. Now this is not, you know, eighth grade boyfriend jealousy that is sinful and insecure, maybe downright abusive sort of jealousy. This sort of jealousy is rooted in love. Jealousy or true love without jealousy is an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp and plastic silverware. See last week, we talked about that last week. True love without jealousy is an oxymoron. If a husband and wife truly love each other, they will feel jealousy if that intimate relationship is threatened. If your wife came home, from the gym and said, hey, this very attractive guy asked me out today to go to the movies and I accepted. I would not be cool with that. I'm gonna drive to the gym, <laughs> pretend to spot him and let the weight do its work. <laughs> because I love my wife and I wanna protect that which is beautiful, our relationship. That is how God jealously longs for you. He desires for you to be wholly committed and devoted to him. He's jealous for, for all of our hearts, our souls, our minds. Like a husband is properly jealous for the love of his wife. So James has described a very messy situation. <laughs> the dumpster fire. People are coming to blows. They're, they're, they're being verbally or physically violent with, with one another. They're driven by their sinful passions. I mean, it's, 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 it's an environment like this. He's writing to churches that probably looked like this. He's saying, you guys are fighting. You're competing with one another. 
You're jealous of one another. You're envious of one another. And it's, the results are, are devastating. It breaks my heart. And it shows me that you're not fully committed to me, that you're in love with the world. So the question is, is well, what do we do now? <laughs> He's come down on them. What could turn this situation around in this church? Look at verse six. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God will give grace to overcome these quarrel-producing worldly passions that make us an enemy of God. A jealous God without grace is absolutely terrifying. But our God gives us grace. He gives us a willing, willing, or he's willing to supply us all we need to satisfy the demands placed on us. God will give us the sustaining grace to be faithful and overcome our tendency to drift into the world. He will help us do all of those things. He will pour out a river of grace on our lives and help us. He will help us. He will help us if what? If We are humble. He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He will not pour out grace on the proud. Those who are stuck and stubborn in their love of the world, those who are self-sufficient and say, God, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm just going to stop doing this or I'm going to start. It's about me, God, and what I can do, not what you can help me with or, or give me or what you can show me or how you can guide me. He gives grace to the humble. And here's our big idea for for the entire day. God will give grace to the quarrelsome heart that humbles itself. So if God gives grace to the humble, we can access that grace by doing what James says next. Look at verse seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submission is not a very popular thing. Uh, it's not a very popular virtue uh, to, to put on in our culture. Like, nobody goes to a submission conference. Like, people learn, you know, hey, come and you know, seize your power. We're going to teach you how to take control and grab the bull by the horns and, and rise to the top. Like, there are no conferences that are like, we're going to teach you how to submit. We're going to teach you how to follow. We're going to teach you how to place yourself under the authority of somebody else. We're to submit to to God, which first has the idea of repentance and acknowledging who God is and who we are. God is, sometimes we've got a very small view of God. So the idea of submitting to him doesn't really make sense. But, but, But our God is Father, Creator, sustainer of the universe. You do not take a breath without his grace on your life. You exist and live and act because of his grace. You are here because of his grace. He is our king. And I'm, I'm just Larry. <laughs> I'm not those things. And so it first comes with repentance and acknowledging who God is and who I am, and then it comes to ordering my life under his will and purposes. 
It's submitting my heart to what he desires for me and what he calls me to. And if you don't know what God calls you to, open up your Bible. It's pretty easy. He calls you to, to kindness, to forgiveness, to gentleness, to put others first. Yes, you can be successful and, and you can try and, and have goals, but it's never at the expense. You don't step on other people to get where we want to go. We're to be generous. So it starts with submission and then it continues on. Look at the rest of verse seven. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The other side of submission is resisting the devil with the promise that he will flee from you. But Larry, the devil made me do it. You heard somebody say, the devil made me do it. Devil can't make you do anything, especially as a believer. But he for sure can stoke your sinful passions that move you to quarrels. If he whispers in your ear, God is not enough, that person over there really has what you want. Resist him. If he fosters in you selfish ambition at the expense of others, resist him. If he brews within you a a me-first, self-indulgent attitude that will inevitably lead to discord, stand firm, and he will flee. Doesn't mean he's going to flee forever. But if he does come back, he's not going to have much power over you. Submit to God, resist the devil. Look at verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. As the devil flees, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you is the promise. The priests who served God in the Old Testament, they needed to be ritually clean to come near to God. So they had to wash, they had to do all of these things. We are to morally purify ourselves of double-mindedness as we come near to God. We must purify our hearts, our minds, our desires, our motives, our actions, and wash away anything that is not single-mindedly pursuing God and his will in this world. And if we draw near to him, what's the promise? He will draw near to us. Most of you know the story of the prodigal son. That's what comes to my mind here. The son has a father who loves him. The son's like, can I have my inheritance? Because then he goes away and he blows that inheritance on on stupid things and he finds himself in a pigsty and then he repents and comes back to this father. And there's this scene as he comes back to his father repentant and and he's walking to his father. What does his father do? Does he stand there with his arms crossed and wait for that son? No, he runs like a goofball to his son and they embrace each other and they hug each other and there's, he kisses his son because he loves his son. And his son has come back to him. Draw near to him, and he will run to you. Look at verse 4-9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We're then to grief. James is an anti-joy. We as Christians cannot be, sometimes we get marked as no fun. We need to know how to party. We need to know how to celebrate. We need to know how to laugh. We need to know how to be lighthearted. 
James isn't anti-joy. Think about the context. He's, he's saying, instead of taking pride in your sinful behavior and laughing about it, instead of taking pride in your sinful behavior that has led to, you know, said dumpster fire, he says, mourn. Our attitude towards sin shouldn't be casual. It's okay to mourn for some time over your foolishness. Just don't stay there. It's okay to mourn for your sin, but, but, but don't inevitably stay there because, because here's the crazy part. True joy and laughter come after we have repented and mourned and embraced the grace of our God who loves us and cares for us. 410, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will flee from you. We've come full circle. If we humble ourselves, this is all about humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves to receive grace, he will exalt us. Maybe in this life, but for sure in the life to come. Furthermore, he will exalt us back into relationship with him where we are a friend of God, where we enjoy the blessings of God and fellowship with him. God will give grace that overcomes sinly worldly desires that cause conflict if we humble ourselves. And then we have this little tag at the end. Look at verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's what he's saying. Stop fighting. (laughs) Stop verbally attacking each other and judging each other. All that leads to infighting. And it also, in doing that, you're also placing yourself above the law as a judge. And what that means is, is you, you are now deciding what commands of God you should follow or not follow. There's only one judge and lawgiver. And when you critique and condemn your neighbor, you're pronouncing judgment over their spiritual destiny. He says, I think that's God's job. Again, humble yourself, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Playing college football years ago, it's funny, we have the head coach of Douglas County High School football in the room right now. I'm sure he loves that I'm pointing him out too. Uh, I didn't plan on talking about football. It's not, this is not pre-planned. Uh, have I talked about football much? No, I have not, Chris. <laughs> no, that's such a lie. I talk about food a lot. The Casey Chiefs, I talk about the Chiefs a lot, uh, but I don't really talk about my, my glory days, my playing days that were over two decades. When I played college football, the coaches encouraged us to fight each other, like literally fight each other. And I'm not even saying it's bad, but that was it. They wanted us to, they wanted us to compete for a starting position. Beat your teammate across from you if you want to start, and if a fist or two fly, it's not exactly a bad thing. Because guess what, son? It shows you have moxie. It shows you have grit and, and passion. Guys, I wish some of my freshmen would just throw a fist every once in a while. Like, do you, do you care about what's happening? 
It works on a football field. It does not work in a church. We cannot step on each other. We cannot compete for positions. It's a very different sort of organization. We're not, we're not here to take something from each other. We're to be a community marked by peace. Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. We have received peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, you are God's friend, not his enemy. He has made peace with you. And that peace is to rule in our hearts, changing how we live with one another. We're not called to conflict and quarreling, but, but peace. It will not be perfect. We will fight, but we're to be peacemakers. And part of peacemaking is acknowledging when our, our sinful desires are the cause of, of quarrels. Almost every quarrel, fight with your wife, with your friends, inside the church, is because of, of some sinful desire. I want to have more. I want to defend my honor. I'm jealous. We must acknowledge and look to ourselves and look in the mirror. And after that, if we repent, we humble ourselves before the God of peace, we are told that the floodgates of grace will open. Amen? Let's pray.